Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another episode of The Redrive, episode number 33. It most certainly is a cold one up there in northern Indiana, and uh, most of uh, throughout the country, it's cold and very wintry at the, at the uh, moment. We had 10 to 12 inches of snow up here last week, uh, but I uh, got out of here in time uh, before the snow came to go down to Ocala, Florida, to the um, Shannon and Karen Cobbs show down there in uh, Ocala, the Grandview Invitational this past weekend. Uh, great show. Six results from there. Um, the first day, Saturday, I guess the first six was on Saturday. Under Jimmy Perio, um, the winners of the six was Express, second BRD, Blue Ribbon Days, third was Red Oak, fourth Zubrod Pertrons, fifth was Grandview, sixth Hunting Creek, uh, the Hunter Entry there, seventh place Burger Barn, eighth ANC, Ninth was Brockwood, HD Rapids 10th, South Creek 11th, and Fox Hollow was uh, 12th. And then on Sunday, under uh, Enos Yoder, um, Express won the 6th, the second day there as well. Second was uh, Red Oak. Third was Blue Ribbon Days. Fourth, Burger Barn. Fifth, Zubrod. Sixth was um, Grandview. Seventh was Hunters. Eighth, Brockwood. Ninth, HD. Tenth, ANC, Fox Hollow, and South Creek to round out the six there. Our youth, uh, classic youth cart results. I just have the top four here. Kenza Zubrod won the cart class, class, and she also won the team, the youth team there as well. So congratulations to Kenseth. Second was Jalen Hirschberger in the cart. Third, Justin Miller. And fourth, Cameron uh, there with Fox Hollow. So a great show. Um, everybody's moved about 20 minutes north of there to the um, World Equestrian Center where they show this upcoming um, weekend. And speaking of, uh, we have Mark Hostetler with us. He is currently in Ocala at the World Equestrian Center and uh, joining in, joining us for some uh, membership uh, updates. Um, so go ahead, Mark. Yeah, thanks, Jaron. Uh, yeah, we all moved in here yesterday and uh, it's quite a, quite a facility, quite a spot on um, quite a piece of ground here. And I have no idea how many millions of dollars went to this facility but it is it is extraordinary and easy to get around with the semis and everything and i think the exhibitors are pretty pumped uh it's going to be a long wait to throw a harness and get the horses ready for this weekend but nonetheless here we are and um i'm just have a uh, few things to go over i'm excited on behalf of the classic series board i'm i'm ha uh, you know happy to announce that we have our new secretary uh, our new secretary is brenda bowling um, her the late father, Joe Mulligan of the Skyline Farms in New York, uh, they showed, uh, Perchin horses for years and years and years. And, uh, she has just recently moved to Tennessee now, and, uh, we're proud to announce that she is the new executive secretary. So we'd like to welcome her on board. Um, of course, her email is info at classicseries.com. And I believe her phone number is on the website already. If you have any questions to either call or text Karen. Uh, as a board made a decision to also hire a youth secretary as well, and that youth secretary is Cassie Shaw, and so she will be overseeing and uh, handling all the youth uh, awards, points, and everything like that. Anything youth-related, Cassie will take care of, and her and Brenda will work together on things as well, obviously, but uh, we're going to continue to try to promote our youth program as much as we can with the Classic Series, and we felt need to have uh, a little bit of help on that end as well as that became at the end here recently became quite a project for the executive secretary to tackle as well. So we did make the uh, decision to hire a uh, youth secretary as well. And that will be Cassie Shaw. Um, another thing for the members is uh, make sure you get your memberships renewed. Uh, they are due as of now. And just a quick reminder that as of if they're not paid by March 31st, uh, you will not be able to qualify for the finals. Uh, and we're pretty strict on that. If you at all wish to participate in the finals for anything, you need to be registered by March 31st. Uh, but most importantly, the dues are, are your membership dues are now. Also for the shows, uh, make sure that you check your uh, when your red line is and uh, get that in so we can get po that posted on our website so the fans and the exhibitors can start planning for their summer show schedule. 
and uh, that way you don't get uh, hit with that late fee if you go over the new deadlines that uh, the membership passed on a bylaw uh, bylaw change there recently. Uh, and, and expanding on the youth a little bit, um, I don't know if anybody's seen it posted on Facebook or looked at your email, but uh, the, the the finals host show this year has decided that they will be expanding the youth cart at the finals. And um, as far as that goes, is the top five youth in each region, uh, the top five in points, that is, in each region will be invited to participate in the finals in a showmanship class and also a cart class. And if, if, and if the top five youth in the region qualifies uh, to drive at the finals, they are also able to bring another horse and drive in that ladies' cart on Saturday night. Um, something that uh, I think is exciting that the Classic Series has worked with along with the finals committee uh, to get that done. And I think it's a great opportunity for kids and to expand the finals into a bigger event, uh, not just for six horse hitches, but kids and carts and other people to come drive in that atmosphere on Saturday night in the ladies' cart class. Uh, that's about all I have on my end, I guess. Um, I do know we have some more things coming up and uh, some sales and all that stuff. And I'll let Jaron uh, touch base on that. Yeah, just a uh, uh, thanks, Mark, for. Uh offering up the membership info like you do each and every time um just a few upcoming things like we were talking um this weekend if you uh want to make a last minute trip to the sunny south the grand view world nights in ocala florida at the world equestrian center would be uh this friday and saturday the 11th and 12th, the Grandview World Nights. So exciting show going on down there. Also coming up, the Gordyville Draft Horse Sale, February 23rd through the 25th. That's about all we have for upcoming events. Um, we have a, a great episode coming up here this week. Uh, hope each and every one of you enjoy and stay warm. We would like to thank Ship Shawana Harness and Supply in Ship Shawana, Indiana, Mr. Bob Schrock. If you're looking for products for the show ring or at the farm from A to Z, anything you need, horse nutrition, tack, you name it, make sure you check them out, shipshawanaharness.com. Follow them on Facebook or visit their shop in beautiful Ship Shawana, Amish country, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. till 4 p.m., and Saturday, 8 a.m. till 12 noon. Call Mr. Bob Schrock, 260 7254 for all your draft horse needs. Well, joining us uh, on this episode, we have uh, Mr. Craig Grange joining us from Florida and uh, Jason Hansberger here with us uh, in the studio. And um, we're excited you both are here. And But we're, we want to talk about, we're coming into the horse sale season, so we want to talk about horse sales. Um, and both of these gentlemen have bought uh, a lot of horses over the years. Jason, of course, uh, mostly Belgians, I'd say, in his career, and, and Craig uh, with the Pertrans. So um, a lot of different things we could cover here and, and, and talk about, but I guess uh, maybe, Jason, I'll start with you. Um, so you've been – how many years have you been with Hammersmith that you would have been – buying horses and wow i guess even back when with you've been buying belgians for years yeah uh rocking horse i started professionally doing this uh in 94 by buying belgians so i had a five-year stint with rocking horse um and then i had a five-year stint with the uh, clydesdales with owl creek and now i'm going on my uh 18th year with hammersmith what uh and craig you were uh you would have been buying horses with cape cod for you know quite a few years did most of your horses craig did you buy most of your horses at sales actually with cape cod yes we probably purchased uh the majority big majority at sales mm -hmm. that's been 20 we're starting our 27th year mm -hmm. then what so uh, before that i was we were buying uh, Belgian geldings, and that was part of our living. We sold between 20 and 30 Belgian geldings every year before we went to Cape Cod. Very interesting. So you, you kind of just bought yeah. and sold uh, privately, or did you take to yeah. a lot of sales too? Well, both. Uh, 
probably about 50-50 with the Belgians. Uh, we were farming, and then we supplemented our income. I shod horses and made horseshoes and, and then bought Belgian geldings and resold them. And we took a hitch to the shows, and it wasn't long. Everybody knew anything we had at the show was for sale. Some shows, we'd go with six and come home with three and uh, put three more in and go to the next show. So, uh, yeah, we had a lot of Belgian geldings back then. That was in uh, mid-80s and uh, mid to late-80s. And then we went to work for Cape Cod in 1995. And we've been buying purchasing geldings ever since. Mm-hmm. And still, still to this day, you're still buying some, aren't you? Yeah, we uh, kind of took a hiatus here for eight years. Uh, our last time we showed was in 2012, a Percheron Hitch. And then we did a little combined driving for six years and uh, tried that sport, which was very interesting and educational. Uh, I thought it knew a little bit about driving, but that's a whole different sport. So anyway, uh, now we're back in the Percheron game again. Hope to be out next year. Or this year, I guess. Very good. So that'll be interesting to to come back to you there. And since you did take some time off, I'm going to ask a, uh, both of you the same question. Maybe Jason first. Um, what do you see the biggest difference from like back when you you know? What do you the biggest difference now to back in the day at horse sales and buying horses? Uh, has anything changed, or what has changed? Well, one thing I. Back when I first started in that, probably the first ten years of 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 buying horses, like we used to travel and uh, we bought quite a few privately. And now um, it seems like most everywhere you go, they'll uh, unless you back in the uh, Brinks truck, uh, you know they're they're always afraid that uh, you're going to steal one out of there and. So any more other than what you see out of sale, you know, that's in the sale book, uh, we don't go venturing, you know, traveling around and seeing if you can find anything because most of the time nobody will sell them because, well, I don't want to do that. Uh, you know, he's consigned to the sale and, uh, you know, and sometimes, uh, I can understand, you know, they, they have them consigned, but there's no, there's no, uh, uh, guarantee that you know they're going to get what they're what they're thinking they're going to get at a, at a sale and and you know a lot of times it's it's uh, a thing to where you're you're uh you're not going to sneak them out of there but um you know it, it uh that way you can kind of you know get what you want and and nowadays uh you know it's everybody's thinking that one 15 minutes of fame. And so they, in case they get that a hundred thousand dollar horse. Uh, um, so, you know, I think honestly, I think it's a lot of the Amish that sell anymore. That's their, that's their show. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they want to see if they're going to have the star. Mm-hmm. And it's harder. It's like you were saying, you can't go out in the country anymore and find a good horse, no. you know, out kicking through somebody's pasture. Like now it's, if there's a, a gelding that's or a horse that's going to a sale via you know it, with Facebook and everything, everybody knows that horse and where he's going. You know, it's it's not like you pull into a horse sale anymore and oh we're going to see what's here. You kind of know what it's going to be there even before you get there oh, yeah. now. And that's probably the difference, Craig. You know, now to back in the day, like you probably went to a horse sale not really knowing what was there, and you kicked through the barn and watched him drive. I feel like now um, you know what's going to be there, and a yeah. lot of times. You guys might might have even gone and seen him before the sale. Oh yeah, well yeah, probably. Go ahead, lot, Craig. More times than not, we uh, you hear about one that is getting the hype, so you take the time and go inspect him on the farm, and you get a little better picture of the horse than just seeing him the day of the sale. And because the day of the sale, naturally, they're going to have him looking at his best. And you'd like to see him in his everyday clothes before he gets the final show shoes on and all that stuff. So you give it a little better idea what you might be bidding on. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, 
we I, we bought most of ours private and sold them all private. Uh, we sold one or two at the sales, but mostly uh, 95% of them we sold private. And you can still find horses to buy private. Don't get me wrong, but it's more difficult today than it was 30 years ago. And, and sometimes, you know, we've bought a horse uh, at a sale and one more bid and we wouldn't have gotten them. And one horse in particular, if we wouldn't have bought him, I mean, he ended up as a young horse. He was on the dream team, but one more bid, the place he was going to go, he probably would have been a nothing, you know? And, and so sometimes, you know, people that are selling horses, you know, yeah, you might have that 15 seconds of fame, but if that horse don't turn out, you know, depending if he goes to, uh, you know, a, a farm that, you know, can't, uh, really, you know, turn him out, then he was just a horse where if he goes to a, you know, back in the day and probably still today, if your horse went to Craig Grange and he turned out, uh, he was he was going to be remembered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, thanks for the compliment. <laughs> hey, I follow that blue wagon a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Summit Professional Services, a graphic design and marketing firm who specializes in all things equine. If you're somebody who's looking for the absolute best in equine photography or need a professional ad design that's guaranteed to stand out from the crowd, make sure you check out Summit Professional Services, centrally located in northern Indiana and with over 18 years of combined experience between Joe Miller and Brian Yoder. Summit has what it takes to get you and your farm noticed. Interested in promoting your farm or getting an on-farm shoot of your horses or products, call Summit Professional Services at 260-702-9929. These guys are awesome. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Once again, 260 to 9929 Summit Professional Services. Am I wrong? Like, way back there, they used to drive them, but, like, it wasn't like now. I mean, you a lot of the times you'd buy them off the lead chain. I mean, more or less, right? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. They do. They, uh, they drive them, and they try to but the whole game has changed in the last 30 years. Uh, we have gotten these horses so athletic and so animated and to the extreme, in my opinion. And yeah, I don't know if that's all good. Uh, it's fire beware when you're at a sale. You need to do your homework and you need to get uh, somebody that's with knowledge to give you advice if you don't feel comfortable putting your hand up in the air because uh, there's a lot of money goes on the line when you stick your hand up and say, I want to buy that horse. So I think over the years it's changed in that respect that uh, it's more difficult now to see what you're actually getting than versus what you did before. Let's say some of the flaws were camouflaged so good Uh, and no disrespect to anybody taking a horse to the sale. That's their job to get him looking as good as they can absolutely get him. But, and that's an art in itself. But there's a whole different thing of getting a horse ready to sell versus getting one ready to show. Getting ready for the sale, they have to look good for a day or for a day or two. Exactly. And they got to drive good for five minutes where... You go to show, to show, to show. They better be broke and drive good continually. Just as your guys' perspective uh, um, and thoughts, a lot of industries seem to do uh, vet checks and x-rays and and that type of stuff before horses go to their premier sales, um, thoroughbred sales. I'm sure your combined driving sales and stuff, Craig, when you were dealing with that, uh, you had a lot of that type of stuff that got done prior to the sales and the draft horse industry has never really, really done that. Never really 
had that as part of the, the process. What are your guys' thoughts on, on that? Uh, uh, on, ahead, honestly, uh, through all my years of it, I've only ever had two horses that we ended up having a vet check on, and it was a pair of Clydesdales from California that we bought. And actually, the one didn't pass the vet check. It uh, ended up having OCD chip in his hock, um, and it hadn't been released yet. So, um, but it almost killed the sale, um, and uh, and then ended up we saved a little money in the end. But uh, um, you know, it's it uh, with. With how the prices are going these days, uh, I could see it, you know, getting, uh, you know, there again, if somebody would sell it privately, uh, I could see where when some of these horses are selling for that it could become more and more popular. Yeah, I agree with you. It's uh, I think it's the money that is changing everything of what these horses are bringing. I've never had a vet check done on a horse I've purchased. And I can't say, oh, sure, he, once in a while you get one that, oh, I didn't know he had this bog. Well, he didn't have it the day I bought him, but when I, the day I got him home, he had a bog in his hawk. Uh, so, but yet, I think our industry as a whole are very honest and trustworthy people. And, you know, there's the exceptions, but. All in all, I think our industry and the and the draft breeds are uh, very upstanding people, and you, most of them you can believe what they say. And uh, sure, everybody might stretch the truth a little, but uh, all in all, I think uh, our industry is above and beyond other uh, breeds in that respect. <laughs> and and I think it's such a small community that if if you aren't truthful in that, it ends up you know, hurting you in the long run. And, uh, exactly. you know, so unfortunately word of mouth and all that, you know, buyer beware. Well, uh, be, uh, you know, somebody else just says, Hey, you know, I'd just beware of, uh, you know, buying somebody from him, uh, you know, something from him and exactly. And where, you know, where you have your, you know, light horses and all that, where the, you know, the industry is so big, um, unless you're, one of the most renowned people in the industry, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you really don't have that much contact, you know, with somebody in Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I agree with you a hundred percent. Uh, our industry kind of pleases itself in that respect, uh, cause your reputation is what counts. You're going to be in this business and, uh, you better have a good reputation. You ain't going to get asked to judge. You ain't going to get the people bidding on your horses. And so it's, you know, it'll come back to bite you. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of these fitters, these guys that are getting horses ready for the sales. Like you were saying, it's a small enough industry and they make their living doing this. So yeah, they might, you know, get away with screwing somebody over once, but that's, they'll be, their business will be that, done for, you that, know, cause oh, it's follow. a small enough industry. Exactly. <clears throat> and, and honestly, and, uh, honestly, I think, uh, that's where the biggest change has been in the past 20 years is, is the presentation at the sales, the preparation of what, what's presented by the, the sellers, you know, back in, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you know, the horses were, were brought out. Okay. But, you know, pretty much now it's they're presented like they were going to the show ring, and and back in the day it wasn't like that. Um, it was you a lot of times they were in the rough, um, mm-hmm. and so it uh, it was a lot more I think pro- projection back in the day, um, and now it's like uh, have they been maximized? You know, or you know, can we? we get a little more out of them or is that, you know, what, what their, you know, total, uh, end result is that that's what I was going to ask. You know, you guys have had way more experience buying than I have. And to both of you, would you rather see one that 
you could maybe see a little bit more potential in? Or would you rather have him maxed out thinking, okay, this, this is what I'm going to buy and this is what he's going to be? Uh, wh- like, where do you draw the line there and which Craig and Jason both, like, which would you rather have? You can go first, Craig. That's, that's a hard line to draw because, yeah, you, you like to see what they can do, but I'd like to see what they can do when they aren't enhanced by the methods that, they're using to enhance the horse t- today. And, uh, but I think those days are gone. Uh, pretty much. Sure. You, you, the, the ones buying a diamond in the rough are, those days are scarce now to find a diamond in the rough. Mostly you find them at professional fitters and they're good at their trade. And, you know, like Jason said years ago, 25, 30 years ago, professional fitters didn't exist. Everybody, if you had a horse to sell, you took him to the sale. And uh, the guys that did it professionally, they weren't around. Oh, the odd one maybe or two, but all in all. uh, But now, most of the good horses, you know, the owners say, hey, he'll get it fit perfect for the sale. I'm going to pay him to sell my horse. I'm going to get more money for it. And I don't blame them. And those guys do good jobs at it. Well, and I think uh, it. Some of it depends on budget. You know, uh, when you have a bigger budget, you can be a little more selective, and you can maybe get that one that looks more like the diamond and not the piece of rock. And then the other one, you got to rub a little bit more to make it a little shinier. You know, so it's going to be a little cheaper, but guess what? Sometimes you can rub that rock as much as you want, and it's still a rock. And uh, but there again, the ones that are look uh, pretty much perfect right from the get go, um, you're going to pay more, and you know now the pressure's on. And if he doesn't turn out, you've uh, lost quite a bit of money at it. You know, when back in the day too with you know, Belgians, you know, buying them, uh, you know, you, you could find a few different avenues and, and buying some diamonds in a rough because of like color. Uh, you know, if you, you know, when I first started in the Belgians, of course they had to be red, you know, with a strip and, you know, and, uh, you know, there's obviously in Belgians, there's a shitload of different colors. And so if you wanted to, you know, if you were lower budget, you just went to an avenue where not everybody was was uh, buying. And, you know, when I was with Rockin' Horse, you know, we switched to blondes or, you know, light sorrels. And uh, nobody dyed horses back then. Well, shoot, nowadays it don't matter if it's brown, black, yellow. Like, uh, we can make it. Shit, there's gray horses and black hitches and uh, stripes on their heads. Stripes no on stripes their heads. Or... Oh yeah, I, hell, I've had plain-faced horses for a year, you know. But you look at the pictures, you can't tell, uh, you know. So, so all those things that sometimes you could sneak away with, you know, getting a horse uh, for a little bit less money because you know it wasn't that uh, check all the box type of horse. Uh, now, all those can be a little bit fabricated, mm-hmm. and at the same time. You know, back in years ago, going to a horse sale, you might have two horses there at the wholesale that were good enough. And now, with the fetters, with the fitters being better, the the whole breed better. It's probably harder now to, and that's for all of you guys that are buying horses. Uh, it's probably harder now to to actually go and and pick out because you know, you see, all the horses are good nowadays, yeah. right? You just got to pick out the ones that are better. Or really, you could probably kind of get lost at a horse sale because, you know, you look one way and there's a good horse. You look another way and there's another good horse. And then you got to really kind of get serious of what you're looking for. Exactly. You got to be very, very particular on what you want to bid on because just because he's a good horse doesn't mean he's going to fit in with the rest of your horses. You know, you got to look at his stride and look at his head carriage. and, And a lot of times I'll ask him, Will you take the che- unhook the check and take him for a lap around there? I want to see his natural head carriage. You know, I don't want to see his artificial head carriage. I know how you can make him, but I want to see how he naturally carries his head. And 
you know, you just do little minor things like that. Most guys are willing to, uh, do whatever you ask them to, they want to sell a horse and they don't, you know, if, if they say, no, no, I ain't going to let his check down for a lap. Okay. Maybe I won't bid on that horse. Uh, but whatever, it doesn't hurt to ask the people to, uh, do something out of the norm. And, uh, uh, but you can learn a lot from that, just that one little thing. So I think to your point, Craig, to your point, I think asking lots of questions is probably a good thing when you're totally when you're talking yep. to those fitters because they, they will be honest with you if you ask the question but if you yep. don't ask the question then they might not just tell you either exactly they might not be real forthcoming but uh ask the questions ask the difficult questions because you know they're putting their reputation on the line and they're going to be pretty much up front with you uh because it ain't worth it to them yeah, they're in the business to stay in the business and uh that's all good yes yeah? especially if you're somewhat new to the business, ask questions, you know, find somebody and ask them what, what am I, you know, what should I be looking at in this horse? And uh, am I missing anything here or whatever? It doesn't hurt to get two, three, four opinions. Gardner horse training was established in 2002, breaking draft horses to drive. They are located in central Iowa and would love to help you with your braking and driving needs. Make sure you call Jarrett for availability. You can call him at 515-360-6392. Once again, folks, if you have colts that need started or any horses that need training, check out Gardner Horse Training. Located in central Iowa, Jarrett and Kelly Gardner. Once again, you can call Jarrett, 515-360-6392. We'd like to thank them for their sponsorship on the Redrive. I agree with it. It's getting more difficult as time goes on to separate the cream from the milk because there's a lot of cream out there. There's some good horses and there's a lot of good horses that maybe don't bring that top, top dollar that can go in and do just as well, do the job just as well as the horse that brings the big money. And everybody, sometimes people get caught in, uh, they see the best horse out there, but just because he's the best horse doesn't mean he's going to fit in your hitch. You don't have nothing to mate him, and you just spent fifty thousand dollars, and and you you don't even have anything to go with the horse. Um, you know, so I think sometimes people, you know, forget what they have at home and what they're trying to mate, what position they're trying to go for, and uh, you know, they just oh, you know so-and-so's after him, so he must be a good horse. And so they start bidding on him, and then they happen to get a hold of him, and then they're like, oh, shit, we don't Wait got nothing to go with him. Yeah. And uh, Get caught up in the moment caught, and get lost in the, yeah. the hustle. I've you know, done it the opposite way where I got one home and went, what did I do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been down that road. You <laughs> this know, thing looks nothing like my other horses. And, and then there's times that, oh. you know, there is that horse that, uh, you know, you, you really cherish, but you know, you don't have the biggest paycheck or pocketbook. And, and then you, you kind of got to categorize the horse and there's say, there's a few horses in the sale and it's happened to me before where there was actually one horse right before the number one choice, but he sold right before me and there wasn't that much difference. And I thought for some stupid reason that nobody was going to want this other one. Well, he ended up topping the sale. And the other one I could have got for $10,000. And instead, he was Perio's <laughs> bought him. And he was a tremendous horse for him. And he's one of the ones I kicked myself uh, that I didn't get. And I should have known that Nelson was going to buy the other one. But, uh, um, you know, so s- sometimes you, you when you go into that sale, you know, it's not always, you know, you you, you kind of got to look at the sale order and <clears throat> kind of do a realistic, okay, how's this going to go? Cause you might be saving for the one that's towards the end and, and because he's the best, but you just passed on, you know, six or seven that weren't that much different. And uh, then the next thing you know, that, that one that was at the end was out of your price range or somebody wanted him mm-hmm. even more than you did. And you go home with an empty trailer. 
I've ex- sell on horse sales. You can kind of feel that sometimes when like people are kind of waiting on maybe this one certain horse. And then after that horse se- sells, things kind of break loose yeah. and people start, okay, I didn't get that one. So now we're going to start bidding on some of these other horses. You know, you just kind of feel when that, that one big talked about horses maybe sold, things kind of break loose and then they really start going at it. You can just kind of feel that sometimes. But it's proven, though, too. I mean, you, you guys have all bought high-dollar horses at sales that have worked out great. But uh, it's not always the, the highest-dollar horse that works either. You know, you can go spend seven to 80000 but at a sale. But, you know, just because they brought a lot of money doesn't say that it's still, still going to work, you know. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I shoot one of our best horses is one of our cheapest horses. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, but that's, you know, just the, but he had a few little question marks and, and so it kept his value down enough. And luckily we were able to get past the check mark or the question marks, but, uh, you know, that's just one of those risk rewards. Craig, what do you feel is the biggest, <clears throat> when you're at a horse sale, what's the biggest red flag to you when you're horse shopping at a horse sale? Oh, that's a good question. There's a lot of them. Uh, uh, to me, number one is soundness. Uh, you got to buy a sound horse. It's, you know, you get enough problems without buying them. If you know these horses got a problem, I stay away from them. If they're windy, I don't want nothing to do with them. Uh, yeah, okay, they can be fixed. Maybe. Maybe they can't. You don't know. And hey, the horse has side bones. Maybe he'll stay sound. Maybe he won't. Uh, you know, it's soundness has got to be number one issue because these horses are high priced enough that you want them to last for six, eight, ten years. And uh, I think we've gotten away from or we've turned into a throwaway world, and it's rubbed off even in our horse game. Uh, the horses don't stay sound and you don't get 10 years out of a show horse anymore. We used to, and there's no reason we can't now if we took care of them. Right. But, uh, soundness is number one in my book. Mm-hmm. Jason, what about you? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that for sure. And then one of my, I guess, pet peeves is just a bouncing horse. It just, uh, I've just have not had a lot of luck if they're bouncing in the sale ring. Uh, I think I'm shooting about 15% uh, on breaking <laughs> that out of them. Um, you know, and a lot of times it's because they're not sound, you know, there's some other lingering issue that, uh, you know, is there. So if, if a uh, uh, sale horse, uh, is bouncing on me like it's just one of those boy i better love him and i better have a perfect mate for him and and he better go in my price range mm-hmm. what what's something you guys yeah, would like to see true. change those kind are hard to fix so what what's something you would like to see changed on the way some of these horses are presented both of you uh i personally the shoeing sometimes is uh, a little extreme. Um, and it's, it's in the show ring too. Uh, and I'm not saying that I don't do it a little bit too. Um, but, uh, you know, when you're spending that kind of money, um, I, I think it, it would be, it'd be better to know what exactly you have, uh, without, uh, the weights, the, toe length that's it looks like ski slopes on them uh you know three pads just uh you know and then next thing you know you get them home for a week and they throw the shoe and then all of a sudden uh you know their foot's about a quarter of the size it was yeah i totally agree shoeing has got to be the number one issue in that question uh but how do you control it uh that's a difficult thing there. Uh, we've gotten really extreme with these shoes and, 
I said it in the last podcast I did is, uh, I think we're going down the wrong road with all these triple pads and wedges and the horses don't stay sound. I mean, yeah, you get a year or two out of them and pretty quick, you've got suspensory problems and your horses are lame and okay, turn him out. We'll get another one. You know, and I, I think that's a bad attitude to have. I think we should do for the health and the well-being of the horse. Right. And I think to you, like, go ahead, Kyle. Well, I just was going to just on top of that, when you're at a sale and you're purchasing a horse, I mean, you're, you're taking that into account, uh, how the horse is shod. So if the horse is, is moving average and he's shod wicked long with, with lots of pads, to me, it's like, you know, you scratch that one off the list. And, and if you have yep. a horse that's shod just really nice and tight and conservative and he moves average, you're going to say, yes, that, that horse is definitely one that I'm, I'm interested in because you, you know that you're either going to keep him there or make him better when you get him home. Where exactly. the horse that's shod wicked, yep. you know you're going to probably lose a bunch. That's right. You know, he's going to be looking the best he's ever going to look. And uh, you'd like to go think when you got a horse home, you get him ready for your hitch, you could improve him a bit. And I think there's a lot that gets asked from the spring three-year-olds too. You know, everybody thinks, well, they want to turn that mutt, that horse into, into cash, obviously, you know, so as a spring three-year-old, everybody takes into a sale, but I still think it, there's a big difference when you see like the, the fall sale three-year-olds compared to the spring, um, just to give them a little bit more time. It's probably nicer for you guys too, because when you get them as three-year-olds, they're still a year away. A lot of them before you can even use them full time or maybe not all of them, but exactly. Yeah. you you know, especially in the purchase breed, your best years are your five, six, year old horses four good four year olds too four or five six is your best years and probably the same in a belgian now if you're buying clydes it's a little higher uh they don't mature as quick but uh i agree with you we're asking a lot out of these young colts because they're they're shod getting their feet grew out and ready as two-year-olds and Mm -hmm. you know they're still growing they're still half clumsy and uh you know, one end grows, then the other end grows, and uh, it's a lot of stress to put on a colt to put these show shoes on and uh, expect them to handle it. Some do, and some do it well, and there are some true athletic horses out there now. We would like to thank our friends from Equilite. Premium equine nutrition, helping your horse reach their maximum genetic potential because good health happens from the inside out. For nutrition questions or dealership information, contact Michelle Everett at 505-269-2571. Once again, 505-269-2571. Equilate. You touched on the three breeds, Craig. And this would be a good one for Jason, too. Jason, you bought Clydes and Belgians. Uh, Craig, you've dealt in all three breeds, uh, three major breeds. What uh, what do you guys look for in each individual breed, or is it pretty well the same standard for, for all three breeds? I'd say mostly it's uh, very similar. Uh, Clyde's probably a little more different than the Belgians and Percherns. Uh, they have different tendencies and, uh, you know, the Clyde's the hair and, uh, you try to get a horse that is going to have some horses you can just look at and say, he's a good candidate for scratches or he's a good candidate for whatever it might be. Uh, and, and the type of feet does Clyde's are typical to have some of them have poor quality foot not necessarily poor smaller but poor quality uh, the substance isn't there where you don't have that as much in the belgians and the perchins you have it some in the perchins because some of them can be pretty uh, brittle type feet if you don't get a decent hoof head on them and uh all that goes into consideration of how long is this horse going to stay sound you know 
And that goes back to the soundest thing. They got to stay sound or they're useless. Yeah. And, and I mean, pretty much dead on uh, with Craig, you know, the hardest part with like the Clydesdales, you know, you just, you don't have that big of a selection compared to, you know, the Perchins and the Belgians, especially, you know, Belgians, you know, and, and, uh, you know, so sometimes when you're trying to compete, you know, with the, uh, the Perchins and Clyde or the Belgians, it, it just, it's tougher because, you know, that same style isn't being bred like it is in the Belgians and Perchins. And, and honestly, you know, with the Belgians, you know, there's so many different, uh, studs and different uses for the Belgian that, that, uh, there's a lot of different styles, uh, you know, in the Belgians compared to the Perchins. Like to me, the, the Perchins, they're just, uh, uh, just a very similar stamp to them. You know, pretty much every one you look at, um, you know, their, their variation isn't that extreme compared to, uh, you know, the different variations in the, in the Belgians. Yeah. And I'm sure even with Mark and Kyle, um, there's guys that I'm sure call you like your phone rings off the hook, especially this time of year, because everybody has a good horse that you should buy. Everybody has a good horse going to a sale somewhere that you guys should buy, I'm sure. And he'll work for you, too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> They'll probably you know? all be perfect for your hitch. <laughs> well, they called me, but they yeah. said, well, we couldn't get a hold of Kyle or we couldn't get a hold of Mark, so we called you. <laughs> Their lines were busy. <laughs> and, and nowadays, there's so many horses. It's the same thing, only the names have been changed. <laughs> <laughs> and nowadays, there's so many more horse sales, too. Um, I feel like back, you know, years ago, uh, Craig and Jason, uh, Columbus Horse Sale was probably the, it was the premier draft horse sale. I mean, there was a few others, but Columbus was the one oh, no doubt. that everybody went. And that barn was twenty hearts. below zero, <laughs> and uh, the Cooper Arena where the horse sale was was so full of smoke you could make your eyes burn. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, that was like the the big the big sale. Um, maybe uh, do you guys have any stories of horses that you would have bought out of there, or any good Columbus horse sale stories? Well. Uh, I don't have a lot. Well, I, I got two. I took uh, one when I was still with my dad. He was supposed to be my college fund money, and he got a big whopping eleven hundred dollars. <laughs> I think I bought about four books. But uh, um, and then the only other one, uh, it was my first year doing it professionally um, with Rock and Horse. We ended up uh, buying the top selling horse. T- Top selling Belgian gelding there for ten thousand, which, you know, coming from dad, and this would have been in ninety four, you know, coming from my family, shoot, you know, twenty five hundred was like uh, uh, robbing a bank to pay for that, and so ten thousand bucks. But ten thousand dollars in ninety four was it, I don't was, care who you were, that yeah, was a lot of money. It was a lot of money, and and uh, so that was my, uh, you know, introduction to. Uh, doing this professionally and, and, you know, obviously having somebody else pay for it, <laughs> but, uh, and unfortunately he didn't turn out too well, but, uh, he had wind issues later on, but, uh, um, but yeah, that, that was, and I probably had about four years of, of Columbus sale before it, it, mm-hmm. uh, closed up shop. Yeah. I got a couple more years on you, Jason. Uh, <laughs> I figured you did. My first. <laughs> My first Columbus sale, I think I went there and uh, I was was at McKeon Farms and it would have been 1979. And we always took about five head over there just to sell. But as I remember Columbus back then, it was more of a breeder sale than it was a gelding sale. If you wanted to buy good mares and quality breeding stock, you went to Columbus. Uh, We seemed to get better geldings as a whole, I'm not saying there wasn't good geldings go through that sale. And there was, it has been a lot, 
I think we always seem to find better geldings at uh, either Topeka or Indiana sale. And uh, but back then, as a whole, everybody the sales weren't near as big. They weren't near as many as so you, you could buy horses private a lot easier than you can now. Because every just like Jason said earlier, everybody's dreaming about the big hit and home run, and and that's all good. But there's only one or two home runs hit at every sale, and the rest of them uh, kind of sell what the horse is worth. So I don't know. I still like to go buy a horse private myself, but it's getting more difficult, more difficult. Uh, like we've purchased 10 geldings now for hopefully our hits this year. And, uh, we've bought them all private, but one, so it can still be done. Maybe we got a bunch of duds. We'll see, but, uh, <laughs> uh, time will tell here. Craig, you were telling me earlier today about Columbus back in the day about when didn't allow pads. Can you just, tell that story how that went well back then the norm to shoe of draft horse was one leather pad in front and no pads behind and that was pretty that was show or sale whatever well and then some people thought they're gonna like just what's going on today they take it one notch farther just one step farther and so they had two pads on and uh, had the feet looking nice and a big shoe on it. And anyway, this fairly wealthy guy in uh, Minneapolis bought a pair of bears and for a lot of money, 25000 apiece, I think. Took them home, pulled the shoes off and looked at their feet. And the horses could hardly walk after he took, his shoe, took the shoes off. And he was very unhappy and he... Uh, I get the store, my memory serves me right. He sued the sale. And that, the next sale, pads were banned. No pads, no blocking in the feet. Everything had to be natural. You could have the shoe on, but no pads. And there again, people would push the limit. One guy came in with the pad and... He said, I ain't got a pad on it. They said, well, what's that leather between the shoe and the foot? <laughs> That's not a pad. That's a shim because he picked the foot up. He'd cut the inside of the pad out. So there was no pad covering the foot, but it was just a little rim pad, you might say. And, uh, but anyway, that whole uh, situation got the club of sale pretty much going on. No more pads and no more black men in the feet. You saw exactly what you were getting there. And I hope we don't ever have to come to that, but who knows what the future's going to bring. I hope we don't go down the walking horse trail either. Uh, they've really taken extreme to new heights there. What years? On a what? happier note, tell me the, each of you guys, tell me what your favorite horse that you bought at a sale has been. The best experience you oh, had I, buying a horse at a sale. Oh, I have to say uh, that topper horse we bought uh, from Jake Yoder at the Gordyville sale. I think he topped the sale at $35,000. Jim Mills was at the auction, and uh, Jim and Ross Creelman are quite good friends. Ross had bought his original hitch from Jim, and... I said to Jim, I says, what are you doing here? You're out of this game. And he says, oh, my wife wants a cart horse. And <clears throat> I said, oh, yeah. I said, you find her one? Yep. He said, I got one picked out. I said, what number? And he told me, and I says, you would pick the best horse in the sale. And he says, is that the one you're going to bid on? I says, well, we were hoping to. But I says, you know. Uh, I don't know. And he, Jim says, I'm not going to bid against my friend, Ross Creelman. Uh, but he says, if, if you quit bidding, um, let me know I'm in. And so he and I are standing right side by side and I had it set up with a ring man that just keep me in until I give him the signal. And, uh, but don't show that I'm the one bidding. And Jim is saying, are we in? 
are you in? Are you in? And I said, don't worry. Uh, the whole time, they're like, like 30,000. Are you in? I said, don't worry. You know, and it gets up there. Are you? I'm going to start bidding. He says, are you in? I said, don't worry. I'm in. And, and he, so he sold it. And says, then they brought the paper over to me. He said, I never saw you bid. I said, I didn't. <laughs> well, I don't have nothing that good. But, oh, uh, yeah. That was the... Jim Bales, another big part of that story was, I said, geez, I didn't want to overextend my job, you know, and get fired. And he says, if you didn't buy that horse, you should be fired. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that's the way he looked at it. I looked at it a little different being the employee, not the employer. The Young Living Pertrons, the equine ambassadors for Young Living Essential Oils, are brought to you from their global headquarters in northern Utah. Whether online or in the hitch, these horses are a powerful representation of the company's commitment to providing essential oils of the highest quality to families across the globe. These world champion Pertrons represent Young Living's founder, Gary Young's continuous pursuit of excellence. You can visit these mighty Pertrons six days a week at their home, the iconic Young Living Lavender farm in mona utah you can also see them in action as they compete year-round across the united states at fairs and stock shows including young living's annual falls festival and draft horse show probably my uh interesting story would be not too long ago we were at mount hope which we usually don't go to mount hope very often but we had heard about a horse and so we went and myself and my boss and and uh so he kind of fit the bill and so we were gonna go after him and and uh my boss goes uh because he usually tells me to bid on him when uh he wants to keep it under the certain budget because he knows i'll stop where he kind of gets into it and he just kind of keeps on going depending on (laughs) how it goes and how much maybe he uh beverages he had before but uh <laughs> luckily it wasn't too late in the day so uh, it wasn't too bad yet so we're uh and of course most people figured the reason we were there was the interest of this horse so he goes you bid on it. i said okay so we're kind of hiding behind the one stands there and i didn't really want to you know show ourselves that we were right on him and and uh so i waited and waited and he was like at seven thousand and and uh, I waited a little bit, and uh, of course the boss kind of got impatient. I said, "Just hang on, hang on. You in yet?" I said, "No, not yet." You know. Finally, he just says, "Screw it." He walks up in front of pretty much everybody, gets a guy's attention, like and like pretty much, "Okay, we're bidding on this horse." And needless needless to say, we got him, but we probably paid about three, four thousand dollars more than we should have because. Uh, uh, Oh, big boy. He uh, wanted to get in. He wanted wanted to get in. So I'm like, well, whatever. It's his money. Uh, So, Uh, Kyle, what about you? You have any good stories from buying horses? You've bought your share, too. No, I haven't bought too many. I've advised somebody to buy horses. uh, I lost money on everyone I bought myself, but uh, probably. Probably the, the, I mean, obviously, the best horse I've probably bought at public auction is, is George. Uh, and it was just kind of a weird day that day. Robert Hirschberger had eight or nine geldings at the sale in Lansing that day. And, uh, I think actually Bud and Gunville got into a big fight that day and Bud, Bud quit for Bob's uh, for the second time or third time. I, I think they kissed and made up yeah. after, but, uh, after anyhow, the geldings were all sold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. pretty much. Yeah. And, and it kind of, it, it actually, it kind of, kind of pokes a little at Jason too on this one, but I know. I should have that day you. or at that sale, probably the best driving horse Robert had there was a horse by the name of Wrangler, I believe. And he, he sold second in the sale. George sold first. So we were sitting there and, uh, we had just bought in, uh, two or three geldings from Shanahan. So it was the second year I'd worked at Ted's the first year. We just kind of showed what Ted had we kind of got a direction of like what we wanted to build around and the style of horse we wanted and stuff like that. And we went to Shanahan's and bought freedom and, and a couple others. And, 
we went to the Lansing sale and we didn't really intend on buying anything because uh, we had just purchased those ones privately and it was the year of the NABC in 2012. So anyway, we, we were sitting there and uh, the first horse was George that came in for the Belgian geldings and uh, I, I shouldn't really rat myself out, but Ted asked what I thought and I said, well, the big horse that sells after him will probably be more useful to us. And he got stuck at about 8,500. And I said, well, at that money, I'd just take a chance on him, even if we don't use him and turn him out for the summer or whatever, and get him ready next winter, then that's what we'll do. And uh, Ted started bidding on him. And I think we got him bought for 12,000. And I've never hooked to six uh, since that day without him in it. So uh, it was a pretty, it was a pretty good day. And it was just kind of fluky. And uh, and I kind of think you had offered after because we bought the second horse, and then I think you had offered you want to trade, and I was dumb enough to say no. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and yeah. but he was one that uh, when they drove him, he he skipped a little behind, you know, bounce, you know that bounce thing, and just it. Uh, and we had just bought a horse at Harrisburg sale for good money, and kind of the same position, which ironically. The two of them ended up being the dream team that uh, following NEBC. So uh, I think we both did quite well, but yours lasted longer. But, uh, uh, of course, I don't know those two uh, crazy horses (laughs) together. I don't know if they ever would have made it together, but – no, uh, I don't. I don't envy Tom Lane driving a pair of three-year-olds in the lead in Brandon's ring in the Dream Team. That was <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was a bit of a chore for him that day. But. Was there ever a horse, Kyle? You can get on this too. That you'd seen drive at the sale, not necessarily one you maybe bought, but that you just thought, man, like that's an automatic. Like that's going to be an all-time great, and it turned out to be. Do you ever remember? like seeing something like that or I remember I had the hitch to Clyde's at the time, uh, the year that Craig bought striker. And I mean, that horse was incredible at the sale that year. I mean, there was just nothing like him ever. Uh, I always remember when that horse sold that year. The funny thing is I was, yeah, just, I, was, I was just going to say him yeah, because I said, you know, cause he had a strip. And I said, hell, I can make him light. You know, mm-hmm. we, you know, hardest part would have been getting, getting him white legs. But, uh, yeah, he, he was, uh, he put on a show that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had a, a lot of discussions about when we were bidding on him. Uh, Doug was there. And <laughs> we, when it got up to the nitty gritty around 50 grand, I, I said, Doug, I said, we don't have to have this horse. We can, we got a hitch without him. He says, is he a good one? I says, you damn right he is. He said, let's get him. <laughs> <laughs> so so we kept going. <laughs> Can you imagine what that horse would cost you today, Craig? Oh, I mean, he yeah. cost a lot of money I back then, but think I think the way yeah. he drove that, like, yeah. uh, he, uh, yeah. he'd be record breaker. Yeah. The other yeah. one that sticks out in my mind that drove incredible at Gordyville is when Gordy had the black gold hitch there and the king horse that Tim uses in the swing now at, at Young Living. Uh, at mess, messengers and, and different ones have had him. But when he drove that day, uh, that horse drove unbelievable that day. Yeah, I, I had the yeah, honor. He turned of, out to be a good one. I yeah. had the honor of judging him at Denver uh just before Gordyville and I seen him and and he was about as special of a three year old that I had ever seen. Uh although Craig had one or two of them that would rival it, but uh um he he was a special special horse. And those those ones that are naturals are rare. And so when you get the opportunity to purchase one of them you know, it's either step up to the plate or get left behind. And thankfully, I work for two brothers that feel the same way. You know, when they get the opportunity to purchase a good horse, they go for it. And, you know, and I, I know I understand everybody's budget is different. And, but the, the top, top good natural athletic horses are rare. And even in today's game, a lot of them are made to look pretty good, but the ones that are naturals, they just stand out. And, uh, 
you know, and most, most everybody could see that. And those are the ones that bring the money. One, one I remember seeing drive and she had, she had been shown a little bit too, was that, uh, Chad's mare, bittersweet, unexpected surprise. Oh yeah, I I thought she drove excellent at Gordyville that day, and which I said, you know, she had been shown a little bit too, and went on uh, Jackson Fork bought her, and she had a really good show career. I thought she drove really good there that day. Yeah, everybody was in awe when they couldn't believe the numbers because <laughs> nothing like that had ever been been done at uh, a sale before and uh, it's just unreal to say wow uh, did you believe how much he brought you know yeah it was a, a quite a record day yeah but she was awesome mm-hmm. absolutely there's a lot of great horses out there but still just just a few great ones um, to choose from each and every year at horse sales but hey guys thank you so much we appreciate you uh We've had Jason and Craig on before, uh, great horsemen people to have on, and, and uh, thanks for doing this anytime we ask you. We sure do appreciate you, and uh, given your insight on horse sales, it's a great episode. I enjoyed it just as much as anybody, so uh, thanks for taking the time and being on with us, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. Right, thanks, thanks, guys. guys. Carriages, regardless if training, competition, commercial, or just fun around the farm, Twisted Luck Carriages has what you need. Being the exclusive agent for Koi Altex Carriages in North America with Twisted Luck Carriages, the sky is the limit. A completely customizable shop, Twisted Luck Carriages can customize your carriage to fit your every need and desire. With 300 plus colors available and many options, including coolers under the rear seat, cup holders with console, and built-in Bluetooth radios, Twisted Luck Carriages can surely customize your perfect Koi Altex carriage. Also available new and used in-stock carriage inventory in the U.S. and Canada, as well as parts including tires, tubes, brake parts, etc. Call Rex Mann at 405-326-5623 or visit their website, twistedluck.com, for all your carriage needs. Once again, Rex Mann, 405-326-5623, Twisted Luck Carriages.